Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. For more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. But first, I'm excited to have on the show one of the most active and successful literary agents in the industry who has worked at William Morris, APA, Metropolitan, and Endeavor. He was one of the youngest people ever to make the Hollywood Reporter's Next Generation Top 35 Under 35 list, an agent whose sales record and reputation are enviable, Mr. David Boxerbaum of Paradigm. Thank you for joining Thank us today, you. David. Thank you. You should be my agent with that introduction. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> um, no, I mean, obviously, you know, you're uh, a prominent agent in the business. You're very established. Um, and, uh, you know, I appreciate you coming on the show today to... Uh, my pleasure. Yeah. Um, now, I know you're from Northern California, and you graduated from film yeah. school at NYU's prestigious Tisch Correct. School of the Arts. Um, Correct. I wanted to talk a little bit about your background and how you first became interested in working in the entertainment industry. You know, what was your inciting incident, so to speak? Sure. I mean, I've always been, I'm one of those kids that I think, like a lot of people who love film, went to a movie theater early on and was captivated with what I saw on the screen. So it became in love with the idea of being in the film business. Um, I think for me, going to film school was a really eye-opening experience because I, I definitely was was fascinated and, and loved the uh, the art of actual filmmaking and being involved and, and getting my hands dirty with cutting film and kind of, you know, uh, writing, a, you know, being involved with the script writing process, all of that. And I think that when I came, when I graduated NYU and came out to Los Angeles immediately, I didn't know anybody in town. I mean, I had no contacts with no nepotism or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, my first gig in Hollywood was working for Jerry Bruckheimer mm-hmm. and I only got the job is because it was a very highly competitive job. And then we're talking a highly competitive job for, I think it was his ninth assistant and he had eight already working for him. <laughs> that was going to be his ninth, which meant like walking the dog and, you know, I think, uh, fixing the script library and all those kind of fun, you know, temporary intro kind of, uh, job, uh, things you do in one of those jobs. So I, uh, I got, uh, you know, I got hired because the inner girl interviewing me and I was completely, I wouldn't say I was underqualified, but I was, there was so many people up for that job. I got hired because I went to NYU and she went to NYU. So I kind Mm -hmm. of, my, my resume rose to the top, but, um, that was my first kind of introduction. Welcome to Hollywood. And it's really what got me super excited again about being in this business and, and then truly love for film because working for Jerry, it was a time when they were making enemy of the, uh, I think Armageddon was in production and in the state was in uh, pre-production and Con Air was in post. So, I mean, you saw three gigantic movies being made um, back to back to back. And that was a really exciting, special time for me. And it's very obviously high concept, big action filled, uh, you know, uh, movies. And uh, that was kind of when I learned uh, kind of why I love this business and why I wanted to be in it and kind of started my trajectory to where I ended up today. As much as that's far from where the agency route is, right. it kind of opened my eyes to the business and what I loved about it, the movie-making process of it. Right. Well, that leads into my sort of next question. You know, sure. again, going to film school at NYU, uh, working for, you know, Bruckheimer in production, um, how did that? How did you transition to the mailroom at William Morris and and your move into representation? I mean, what inspired sure. that? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know I, I had been working then for Jerry, and I got a job working at Sony for a guy named Rob Free, and I, and I was kind of working in the in the production part of the business, and I kind of felt like I wasn't learning every aspect of the business, or felt like I didn't have my hands really dirty yet in the business. And someone said, "Listen, someone, uh, first thing, give me great advice. If you really want to learn the business." 
and really kind of get in there and kind of be involved with all the facets, you should go to work at an agency in the mailroom. That's where basically the hub of everything happens. Everything comes through, the writing, directing, producing, it all kind of filters through to an agency and kind of starts right there. And I didn't know much about agents or what they did yet. Or I mean, NYU, you're kind of shielded from that world. Mm-hmm. So um, I said, okay, I applied to William Morris and I got a job. And I didn't, it's fine. I was in the mailroom for a little while and I was immediately upon a, a guy named Lee Rosenberg as one of these great kind of mentor type of uh, legend agents of our time. Mm-hmm. Um, I created an agency called Triad and, and, and whatnot, and who had sold to William Morris. And that's where I really got my mentorship and kind of learned the art of agenting, what that was all about, and the art of deal making and kind of understanding great material and kind of really having a point of view and a taste. And, and that's kind of where I got my love and my appreciation for it because. Listen, I think in my in my heart of heart and in my mind and still to this day, you know, there's always a struggling filmmaker inside. And I think I hope all of us who are agents in this business have a love and appreciation for film. That's mm-hmm. the most important thing, first and foremost, before the deal making all of it is a love for film and television, and love for the, for the art we work in. So I think inside I have all that. But I think what truly I loved is the, is the idea that I saw what you could do is you could break people's careers. You could build people and, to, and you could start from scratch and take someone brand new and build them into this huge success story. And I think that's what really got me excited. And, and I really quickly saw that you were really the center of everything as well. It all filtered through the agency world. So to me, um, it was a great way to be a part of a lot of things. If myself, I myself wasn't the guy behind the camera, you know, so right. I could actually help break those people behind the camera or, you know, on the page. Right. Well, I mean, that's really great to hear because uh, a lot of times uh, you look at agents as being solely salespeople. You know, they go out and sell, sell material. It's really great and it's really refreshing to hear that you are also a, a film buff. You're a film yeah, fan. I mean, You're that, a filmmaker that, yourself. Totally. And I think that's what's truly unfortunate to me is a, is a bad stereotype. And it, it's rightfully given at times because I think most, I would say... 50 or 60 percent of the, of the deals maker in this town are in it for the for those kind of reasons purely for the sale of it which is fine and and then, and there's great people who are strictly involved and, and do that so well i just truly believe that like, the truly the best agents in this town are the ones that love and appreciate the art of what we do and the artist's journey and have some kind of to me um uh, history in that as well, or understand or, or appreciation of the artist's journey. I mean, I feel like with my clients, why I've been successful is that I, I truly appreciate, understand the journey they go on every day, whether it be sitting down and trying to write a script or, or breaking story and, or, you know, or, or storyboarding their, their shot list, whatever it may be. I truly understand the art of it because I believe going through film school and going through all of that and the appreciation of being a film buff and loving movies and television, all of that kind of guide, guided me into where I am now and able to understand their journey. So, I don't know, you know call, call me sentimental, call me old-fashioned, but I feel like that's a great, it's a really great, uh, I would just say, asset to have in my corner as I go along this agent journey, so to speak. Right. Um, now, I guess that sort of leads into my next question in terms of... Sure. Um, you know, what do you think have been the keys to your success? Obviously, I think that to me it probably plays a big part of it because you have a tremendous sales record with numerous spec and pitch sales every year. I mean, consistently. So what do you think have been, uh, some of the keys to your success? Um, appreciation of great, 
great characters and great dialogue. To me, you know, I, I am the listen. We all we have in this. I always say, and I always say to people who you know, when I, when I speak on panels or or, or whatnot, um, I'll, people will say to me, uh, you know, what what do you you know, as an agent, how do you, you know, define what you take out, how you define, you know, what you sign on to or, or who you sign and represent all of that. And to me, you know, it's really about your taste and about your, you know, when you see it kind of thing. So uh, my success, I think it's been about my um, love for great characters and dialogue. I think that's what comes first. I think a great high concept script is wonderful, but if there's great characters and dialogue layered in there and in a way that, move the script along and, and tells a great story, that to me is what what generates a sale these days, whether it be a pitch or a script. Um, all I really have in this town is my taste. I've always been like, once that gets tainted in this business, you know, I'm in trouble. So um, I'm very particular about giving notes and about getting my hands dirty with clients and really digging in there and really making sure that before I take a script out to the marketplace, it kind of has my stamp of approval on it as well because my name and, and my reputation is also at, at stake as well when it goes in the marketplace. So I never want to take a client script out unless I truly believe it's something I could I could sell and, and I can put it forth. And, and forget sale. Sale is obviously the, the icing on the cake, but right. it is it would be to get to people to notice this writer and appreciate their writing and, and kind of work with this writer. I think that's the most important thing, of course, the sale being the icing on the cake. So. Um, to answer a long one answer to your question, my success, I think, from, from the spec sales and pitch sales is because I really take a time to really put work into the project, in, into the script, before it hits the marketplace. I don't just send it out there and hope it's, you know, throwing it the wall and hope it sticks mentality. It's not what I am. It's not what I do. And I think it's why I've built the success I have. Right. Um, now, what is the health of the spec market right now? Are there any specific genres or subject matters that are particularly hot? Or is there anything uh, that is an especially tough sell these days? Yeah, I mean, I'd say, I'd say actually lately it's been, it's been relatively hot again, considering what it used to be years ago. I wouldn't say it's been hot, but right. re relatively as of late, it's been hot um, with some big spec sales. But I think you're always going to see two-handed action thrillers are always going to be big. You know, this, I, when, when I sold Safe House, I think that revolutionized the genre a little bit and kind of opened up the door to the two-handed action thriller. Right. Um, and I think that's, that's always been hot ever since. Comedy, a great comedy. People will always look and, you know, will always try to find a great comedy. Um, horror is going to be horror. Horror, you know, horror is what it is. And I think that's always going to be there. But action thrillers seem to be what really is, and sci-fi really are what's on everybody's mind right now, what everybody's looking to, to buy and to, to really find. And I think it's hard. I mean, you know, how many CIA, FBI movies can you do that, you know, that haven't been done already? So, right. um, or two-handed, you know, men on the run or, or, you know, women on the run, whatever it may be, it's like they've all been done. So it's hard to find a new version of that. But they're out there, and every once in a while when they come along, you see multiple cities have been on them. So I think that's what I found to be uh, extremely high. I mean, I went out recently, you know, from a writer we just signed, and uh, it sold in four hours, you know, and it had four or five studios bidding on it because wow. it was a great action thriller, CIA twist and turn kind of movie that separated itself from the ones that had been out in the last, you know, couple of years. Right, right. Um, now, is there anything that is an especially tough sell these days? I think period pieces are always going to be tough. I mean, listen, there was a period piece that sold recently, but it was a spin on Santa Claus where you basically uh, you show you show Saint Nick uh, as kind of like a 
not vigilante, but how, how he became Santa Claus and like a fighting. It was like very Snow White and the Huntsman set in that world, in the tale mm-hmm. of Santa Claus. Also for a ton of money. But I was like, and it was called Nicholas. But period pieces notoriously are tough unless they have some kind of genre slant spin on them. Um, so I found that I particularly have, a, have not shied away from them because great writing is great writing, but I don't particularly gravitate towards anything that's in a period piece. Right. Gotcha. Um, now, what was your first first spec sale ever, if you even remember it? Um, and how did you celebrate? Oh, boy. Um, I probably was in shock because I was probably really young. I was really young. <laughs> right. I'm way old. Um, I, I don't remember what the first one was, believe it or not. I'm trying to think back. That's a great question. No one's ever really asked me that question. Um, that is a great question. I'll have to do some research on that and, get, and send an email to you and get back to you on that. Um, yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, I mean, I could tell you, obviously Safe House, because that was, that was a prominent one. You know, that wasn't my first one. I had told right, you before, no, sure. but Safe House, um, listen, that went out. I think that was a, in the, I never would ever toot my own horn or, 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 or pat, my own, pat my own back. Cause I think that's just obnoxious to do. But on this one alone, I will toot my own horn and pat my own back because that was a pretty, that was a pretty perfect, perfect way of taking out a spec the way it sold within 24 hours, multiple bids, you know, quickly into rewrite slash development slash production. But how did I, how did I celebrate? I think I went home. I think I uh, got myself a really nice dinner. I think I took, oh, the manager and myself went out, got a really great dinner that night. And I think we just kind of tipped, you know, had a nice glass of wine Toasted to the client who was in New York, still was in New York with his family, hmm. and um, you know, re- uh, reveled in the fact that we had just, you know, kind of shaken the the spec market up a little bit because it definitely had been asleep for a while, and that woke it up in nice. a big way, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, and you know, the spec was a big sell. It wasn't a monster sell. It just it just shook everything up because the way it sold and sure. what it was and, and the and the appetite for it. So, um, but that I'll have to get back to you on the first one. So that's a good question. <laughs> Um, now for old age, you know, the, the, the age get the, uh, memories has to go. Well, if, if you only had three spec sales or something, I, I I would wonder why you don't remember, but obviously (laughs) obviously with your track record, you know, you can forgive (laughs) him for not remembering that. that. Thank you. Uh, Um, now for, for newer screenwriters and we do have a number of them listening, um, who are still learning the business. Many sort of have the impression that being an agent is, you know, a lot of power lunches at Soho house and flashy movie premieres wedged in between just a flurry of phone calls leading to, you know, spec, spec and pitch sales. Can you sure. explain a little the nuts and bolts of, of a, what goes into planning uh, a spec sale? You know, I sure. mean, I mean, uh, I, what the actual plan of taking one out? Yeah, exactly. How you prepare for taking a spec out. Sure. Sure. I mean, so basically every spec is different. And listen, all the lunches of Soho houses and whatever mean nothing when it comes down to if the material is good or not. I mean, it has to be on the page at the end of the day. So the writing has to be there. The written word has to be exceptional. And it has to be something that people are going to want in the marketplace. Um, every spec is different. So there's the map. If it's a brand new voice, you're purely you, the, goal is, the goal is purely to get the, per, the writer out there to introduce to the town, to the marketplace, to build a fan base of producers and executives at studios who want to work with this writer and, and know his work and his writing. Then you might want to take the spec out to an, a, more than a handful of producers, let's say 20, 30, 40, whatever it may be. Um, if it's about the sale, it's a little, it could be a little more strategic. It could be like, okay, let's pinpoint 
two or three at each studio, people that have deals at each studio, the pod deals, producers that have deals there, and and let's figure out who there makes the most sense, or one at each studio, and basically figure out who makes the most sense and get that person to script all those five or six producers first, let them see what it is. If the reaction is great, and all across the board, once they get in the studio, great, you have your producers. And then when you've built that swell of interest from those five or six, you can take it out to the marketplace afterwards based on the swell of interest you've already built, let people say, well, it's not available, but this script's probably going to fail, the excitement level for it, you should read this and get that, get to read that way. But if it's, about, if, it's, if it's basically, though, about getting the writer, like I said, just to have their voice out there in the marketplace, you, want it, you might want it to expand that to more than just five or six. So everybody's different, and it could be, do you want to attach a director? Do you want to attach a writer? I mean, an actor, so okay, let's go get that actor first. Let's get that director first. Let's try to get you know, that person involved, and that could be sometimes a lengthy process, or you could put a ticking clock on him and say, okay, you have 24 hours to read this. I mean, literally, every spec is different, and I treat, I mean, I treat everyone differently. Right. And I try to plan and organize it for everyone differently, and I think that's why my clients appreciate me is that I don't just treat everything like the same piece of material. I treat everything differently. Everything gets its own day in court and has its own opportunity to sell in the marketplace or, you know, obviously be read. Right. Right. Um, now a lot of aspiring screenwriters believe that once they sign with an agent, the hardest part of their job is mostly done. Obviously they've written it. They sign with an agent. Now, the agent goes and sells it. Now, clearly, there's a lot more that goes into building a career as a screenwriter. Sure. Um, sure. Once you sign a client, what is your expectation of them in terms of communication, in terms of prep, prep work for meetings, developing and delivering new material? What should new clients be prepared to do? New clients should always be writing. If you're a writer, you should be writing. Right? That's your job. That's your profession. That's what you go to work every day and do. Um, so I feel like the the misconception is that when you've written one script, you've done your job. No, you know you should be writing a script every day. You should be working on something every day. You should be you should be crafting your you know crafting your art, which is writing as much as you can. Um, I also believe that um, as a writer, you know you should be uh, reading as much as you can, reading other great things that sell, reading books, you know, reading articles, reading newspapers, kind of getting yourself immersed in the business that we work in and in different areas of interest as much as possible. So there's a lot of homework on the writer's end as well. And then, you know, preparing for meetings and everything, that's where we come to play. And, you know, I take it very seriously, make sure that when my clients go into meetings, they're fully prepared on why they're meeting with this person, what they should talk about, what, the, what that producer or executive has worked on, what they've done at the studio level. So that's where we prepare for them. And then, obviously, it's important for the writer to have prepared themselves as well. If I say, okay, they've worked on this movie, that movie, it'd probably help if they've seen those movies or they are aware of them at least and they can talk, you know, uh, articulately about that, that material or movie. So it's, there always is, there always is a lot of kind of homework being done on both ends. Mm -hmm. uh, it's me preparing the writer and slash or director, whoever may be going into a meeting or, you know, preparing for, um, you know, their spec when however it is or, or a new piece of material. It's any new ideas to look at to kind of, help gauge which one you should be working on next or should be pitching in a room, TV, maybe TV ideas to help with our, you know, TV, you know, possibilities to go down that path. So there's a lot of things that go into it. But most importantly, and I said it, you know, I'll say it again, you know, writers write, right? That's if you're a professional writer, you write. You don't just sit back and wait for things to fall in your lap. So I feel like that's your job as a writer is to continue to write. Right. No, that's great advice. I mean, 
Picasso didn't paint one painting and just wait for exactly. it to sell. Exactly, sit back and say, who was it going to sell? You know, I yeah. just feel like so many writers think, well, I've written my great script, now now go get me a job agent. And like, right. you know, it just doesn't work that way. Sure, that one script may sell, but it may be your second script you wrote. I mean, you know, just using David Guggenheim for Safe House as an example, he, <laughs> Safe House was his, I don't know, fifth or sixth script he wrote. <clears throat> the two gave, they gave me before, which were great pieces of writing, didn't sell. Mm-hmm. And one wouldn't even take out because I didn't think the concept was big, good enough to take out. Um, which to this day, I think he appreciates most about me is I did not take that script out about him. I gave him a, an honest, believable, uh, honest, real answer about why we shouldn't take the script out. Um, we were on a panel once, and he said that's really what, what really what sold me on you as an agent uh, is that you basically told me point blank, it's a good piece of writing, but I'm not, this will hurt your career if I take it out. So I'm not taking it out. So my point is it was his fifth or sixth script that became Safe House, you know? So right. it, your one may be the masterpiece, but it could be the fourth or fifth or sixth one that really gets you on the map. Right, right, absolutely. Um, now, obviously, writing great scripts, you know, as we've been talking about, is the most important aspect of being a successful screenwriter. Um, but mm-hmm. many screeners also neglect the networking aspect of the industry, feeling their work sure. should stand on its own. How crucial is networking and building relationships for, for screenwriters? Tremendously crucial. I, I think it's really, listen, it's hard. If you live in like Nebraska and you're a family of four and you, you know, you're, you're a writer, you're a aspiring writer, which I think is wonderful. I mean, I, I say this a little off tangent, but everybody should chase their train. There's no, there's no if and buts about it. You can be living in Nebraska, you can live in Denmark, you can live in Los Angeles, wherever it may be. If you have the gift of the written word, it doesn't matter where you are. Um, sure, it's a little bit easier sometimes if you live in Los Angeles and you can network more and you're out and about and you run to other writers and there's writers groups and all of that stuff. But with social media these days and the internet and all of that, I feel like there's still network can be done in that social way and the media and, and, and online way. So I think it's really important to surround yourself with other people working in the same craft that you are uh, because that will just that will just, just inspire you more and I think it will actually give you the the, uh, the positive energy you need to continue to grow as a writer. Um, it's it, sure again, it's easier to be in Los Angeles and probably, you know, be able to jump on, you know, jump in a car and drive right to a meeting when you need than be in, you know, uh, North Dakota and you know hop on a plane and you know change your schedule around your life around. But it, it, no matter where you are, networking is so key and so important. And I think surrounding yourself with people, like-minded people who are doing the same thing you are. Is really important, and also, you know, again, if you don't live in Los Angeles, making sure you're up to date, like you said in the previous question, on on knowledgeable about what's going on in the business, and that's so easy. You can go on Nikki Fink or Deadline.com, you know, and mm-hmm. and get most current information that we all get. You know, we're right. all on there as well. So, Hollywood Reporter, Variety, whatever it may be. Right, right. Your, your podcast. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Um, now, where do you find new clients? I'm assuming most of your new clients come via referral. You know, you're obviously yeah, referral. I mean, it's it's there's there's no really magic formula to find new clients. They come from all sorts of different ways. Most of them either come from some of them come from other agencies, some of them come from referrals, some managers, or lawyers. I mean, really, there's I mean, some very few these days, and they do. I get new writers. Sometimes they win contests, but that's for me as a as you grow as an agent, you become much more senior, and you're in your agentine level, not necessarily in years. I'm still, I, I joke about being old, but I'm still slightly young. Uh, right. <laughs> slightly. Uh, um, you know, you, um, you, you find that, you know, taking on a new, new, new writer is a little bit more trickier. But again, a new, any, any great voice, you know, 
it supersedes any of that. So um, I uh, I find it all different ways. I mean I I mean I literally like could spend a whole a whole podcast telling you different ways I've found writers. So um, they come from all 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 walks of life that you find them. Right. Um, yeah, you're not Fred Spector just yet. <laughs> yeah, no, not not yet. But I feel like some days I do feel like it. You know. When I, <laughs> When my when my baby keeps me up at night, you know what I mean, like asleep, that makes me feel like it. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. I congratulations on that. I, I, I thank you, you. You had a baby. What is it? January or February? Uh, January. I congratulate my wife. She did all the work. I just kind of stood there and, and told her. <laughs> the, the, I'm good job. Her. How about that? Yeah. Good exactly. <laughs> um, um, how, how do you like to work with managers in terms of shared responsibility of your mutual clients? Right. I mean, that's great. I mean, listen, uh, there's a bad rap on everything, on managers, agents, you know, I mean, there's a good, there's a great rap and there's a bad rap, you know, and it's about finding people you're still comfortable with and you trust and you believe in that are going to be able to dive in there with the writer and give them notes and really handheld them through the process of development sometimes and, and be in sync and tandem, hand in hand with myself as a team, as we represent um, the, the writer director. So I, um, I'd say 99.9 people I work with it's people who I trust and and I appreciate and I love their taste and people that I believe that um, are fantastic at what they do and I I firmly believe in the manager aspect of representation. I think they add a great asset and value to the to the team and in a marketplace where it's so much harder these days to get opportunities. Mm-hmm. Never never a bad thing to have somebody else also saying your voice and, and name out there. You know, right? You. So um, I've I've had great experience with everybody I've worked with and you know sure it's always going to be a bad apple and then every patch batch you know and you know I'm sure the same could be said about agents too right <laughs> um yeah I'm sure definitely sure there is you know? yeah yeah I and we're running short on time I don't want to take up too much of your time today I do uh-huh. appreciate it we have a section we called rapid fire which is just you know a couple quick uh questions um so here we go more interesting characters Dr. David Banner, uh, you know, the Hulk, uh, yeah, of course. Charles Dickens's David Copperfield, or David Brent from the British office, who was played by Ricky Gervais. So David Banner, David Copperfield, or David Brent, more interesting character. Uh, I'm going to get killed for this. David Brent, probably. I, 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 would, I would agree. I think Ricky Gervais is brilliant. As, as yeah. I'm just saying, I mean, how, how, can you, how can you take away David Copperfield? But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with, uh, with Brent on that one. Well, I'm not going to. As a massive British office fan, how about that? Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. I can agree wholeheartedly. So we'll, we'll stand together and go All down. Right. All right. We'll together. stand together and you just done this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, most dangerous agent. Agent 47 from the Hitman video game series. Agent Smith, you know, Hugo Weaving from The Matrix. Or Agent yeah. 99 from Get Smart, you can your choice, Anne Hathaway or Barbara Feldon from the old TV series. So Agent 47 Agent. from Hitman, Agent Smith from The Matrix, Agent. or Agent 99 from Get Smart? Agent 99, because stupidity will get you in so much more trouble than uh, evilness. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and finally, or I say naiveness will get you in so much more trouble than, uh, than uh, what do you call it? Evilness. <laughs> um, now, who would win in a paintball war? You? Mark Ross or Chris Smith? Oh, uh, I would say Chris Smith. A lot of pent up, a lot, a lot of pent up aggression there. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I would definitely be running for the hills. <laughs> let Mark Ross. Mark and I, let yeah, Mark just yeah. fight it out. Yeah, but did the Mark? Who, who did they ask them to? Who would they say? 
No, I didn't I ask them. Oh, uh, okay, <laughs> yeah. I think I think Chris Smith would probably win. Okay. I'd like to say myself, but I'm going to give Chris Smith that nod. Okay. <laughs> um, and do you have any last thoughts or advice for aspiring screenwriters? Uh, listen, I say, you know, I all of you guys should be honored and you should be so appreciative of yourselves of what you do and give yourself a pat on the back because being a writer is one of the, I think, hardest things to do. Listen, it's not brain surgery by any means, but it's truly a tremendous uh, honor and, and a tremendous feat to be able to write a three-act uh, narrative structure that works and that, you know, comes across as, as a great piece of writing. So um, don't give up. Be passionate about your work. Uh, and I think great material rises at the top and it'll find its way. And there's no such no thing as ageism or, you know, expiration dates on when you can and cannot write. Just continue to be passionate about, about the art of it and, and you'll find its way to hopefully success. And, you know, I... I am so honored that I get the opportunity to be able to represent great pieces of art like like this, and I look forward to to always being able to read more. Awesome. It was really great talking to you today, David. I appreciate you coming on the show. My pleasure. Anytime. Absolutely. And if you have questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at scriptsinscribe.com or send us a tweet to at scriptscribe. There's no and in the middle there, just at scriptscribe. Thanks for listening.